a fresh start. It just seemed like, you know, we're on the threshold of uh, a new year. And even though I just want the next day in the sequence, right? There's something about the way we structure our calendar that it feels like a new beginning of sorts. So why not make the most of that? And I want to talk to you about a fresh start. I'd like to lead off with a, just a really cool verse from Revelation chapter 21 and verse 5. So almost the very end of the Bible, right? where God is kind of setting us up for where this is going on a more eternal and ultimate scale. And this is what we read. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making all things new. And then he said to me, because this is a promise, right? And you can put this in writing. Write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and is true. This is just the nature of God. And we understand, I mean, based on the context of this is that he's saying, ultimately, this planet that I created, a perfect world, sin entered in, it went all downhill, and it's a mess today, and I'm going to make it all new again. But what this says to us is we, we have a God who is committed to the original plan. And for many of us in our lives... We've wrecked that plan to the point that it's almost impossible to recognize. And God is saying, listen, it's not over yet. I can make it new. I can do it all. I I love that verse, and I love the way it's read. The word new in here is interesting because in the Greek language, there there are more words that we translate new that are more precise in their meaning. And basically, there's two different directions that go. One means new in the sense that it never existed before. It's new of a different kind. The other one is it's new of the same kind. And that's what this word, word is here, this one. It's, it's new not in the sense that, it's, that, that he's going to create something that hasn't existed before in this sense, but he's going to take something that's old, something that's broken down, Something that's completely messed up and appears worthless, and I'm going to reconstitute it into something that's brand new for you. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a new life. I'm going to give you, he's talking about this planet and our eternal future, but he's talking about our individual participation in that as well. I'm going to make it new for you. So this morning, I'm going to talk to you about a fresh start. Because that word new in the Greek language sometimes is also translated fresh in English. So that's where I've taken my title from. It's about a new beginning. So my dad was a factory worker his whole career, um, but he also had a a small five-acre farm, and he did a lot of farming, and he had a love for John Deere H tractors. That was his tractor of choice. And uh, I remember as a child, at least twice, he bought old, broken-down John Deere, I mean, literally from the junkyard, rusted out, parts missing, engine froze up, wouldn't run, drag these things home, and mom is asking the obvious question, what are you going to do with that thing? And uh, he said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rebuild it, and I'm going to use it. And you know, he did, because when he got done, this is what it looked like. He took everything, he took everything apart, uh, broke down the engine, rebuilt it, all new, he bought parts that were missing, he went and he got the factory paint that was needed, uh, the yellow and the green, and he got the lettering and all that kind of stuff, and when he put it back together, that's what it looked like. It was like, that's, made, that's new of the same kind, okay? That's taking something. I want you to know, Dad saw something in the junkyard that he knew could be more, and that's how God looks at you and I. 
Other people look at us and they say, what a mess. I'm not talking about anybody. This, that was for this, for, for the 1130 service. But for their sake, people look at them and they say, what a mess. God looks at us and he sees possibilities according to his original plan and purpose for us that can still become reality. That's the fresh start that I'm talking about. You can't get too low. You can't get too far off track that God is not able to give hope and restore to what his plans are. The text uh, we're going to look at this morning um, is about a prayer for a new start, a fresh start. And what better passage than Psalm 51, right? If you're familiar with that, uh, the Psalm of David. And if you look at the little notes uh, in your margin, it might say this is the Psalm of David after Nathaniel the prophet had confronted him about his sin with Bathsheba. It's really a remarkable story, familiar to most people. David was a, he was a brave warrior. He was a brilliant leader. And he was and is one of the most loved leaders that has ever existed. Just a special man. Um, and we're privileged to have a great deal of his story recorded in the Bible. And, uh, and this is just a, a fra- I wish I could go through the whole 51st chapter of Psalms with you this morning. It's not time to do that, but I think these verses kind of capture what it's all about. Don't keep looking at my sins, David is saying. Remove the stain of my guilt, creating me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Don't banish me from your presence and don't take the Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me again the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. So I'm going to focus on three words, remove, renew, and restore. That's kind of the the outline of where I'm going with this this morning. But let's just glance backward at the story for just a moment. Joan and I are watching a a made-for-TV series called The Unit right now. And this, as I was rereading chapter 51 in Psalms, I was kind of thinking about that story because it's based on the book Inside Delta Force. So it's all about the Army Special Forces and it's really tight group of guys, small group of guys, uh, highly skilled, highly trained, and very, very tightly bonded together because literally they stared death in the face every time they went out in a mission, and they're dependent on each other um, to, 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 to come home alive, literally. And then you have the, the senior commander of this whole unit, and he's having an affair with one of the guy's wives, secretly. And I was thinking about that, you know, it's like the highest form of betrayal, what David did. Because remember, remember the story about his 30, his, his 30 mighty men, the scripture calls them, 30, 30 guys, and they're named. Well, look it up in Chronicles. Mark Batterson's made uh, uh, Beniah famous, uh, the one who chased the lion into a pit on a snowy day. And guess who came out alive? Uh, Beniah. Well, Beniah was one of those 30 guys. Well, Uriah was as well, if you look at the list. And so these, these guys are bonded together. And, and what, what David did to, to have an affair with Uriah's wife, one, the wife of one of his 30 top guys, and then to cover it up, he has Uriah, he, he sends him in on a mission that virtually assures that he will come home in a body bag, and he did. I mean, it's like you do want to cover that up because those other 29 guys, they're coming after you. And these are the kind of guys who could take you out in five seconds. And so David thought that he did a pretty good job 
of masking this whole situation, of managing the crisis and, and, and all of that. But, but he carried it around inside of him to the point that literally you read through that chapter and it says he was tormented all day, all night. He couldn't sleep. He couldn't get on with life. This was an obstacle that he stumbled over every single day. It got in the way of his relationships. It got in the way of his leadership. It got in the way of anything and everything that made up his life as a leader. He could not get past it. And this went on for at least a year until the prophet came to him and said, Hey, listen, you may think you fooled everybody else, but guess who knows? Totally exposed his shame and his guilt. And that's why he says, please don't, please stop looking at my sins. Dave was shamed by that. So let's go to the first point. We're just going to, we're going to take these one at a time. The first part of the prayer is, Lord, remove my guilt. Remove the guilt. I can't stand this any longer. I need you to get that out of my sight and I need it out of your sight because I cannot move on until we deal with this. And folks, this is a perfect time to deal with those things in the past that will hold you back in the future. Ten days ago, Wednesday evening, we're all in here for what we call family communion uh, time. Very, very memorable. Um, all the pastors lined up across the front here with trays, communion trays, and literally both aisles uh, at times full all the way to the back door. And we're just taking one family at a time, and sometimes one individual at a time. And we have communion, and we would pray together, pray God's blessing. But what struck me was, here we are, it's Christmas, a few days before Christmas. And we're celebrating the birth of Christ, and we're celebrating his birth in this moment by remembering his death. Ironically. But ultimately, the purpose of his birth was to die so that he could take the penalty of our sins on himself so we could be freed from that, which means that God anticipated our humanity and our weakness and our proneness to sin and failure and provided ahead of time that we don't have to carry that baggage into tomorrow. Set us free from that so that we can walk in freedom in the blessings that he has planned for us, this, was, this is what he did. And when we're taking communion and commemorating all that, I'm thinking this, is, this really is the greatest gift anybody could ever get. To be set free from the memories and the torment of the regrets and the remorse and the guilt and the condemnation that we've made for ourselves. And David, one of the most unlikely people you would think that would find himself in that position, and yet here he is. And his life is put on hold because of some choices that he made that he now wants to get free of. Lord, would you remove my guilt? As a young pastor, and this probably goes back at least 30 years, um, so it was another church in another state. I had a couple that I remember to be in their early 30s come to me for marriage counseling. And I was probably very ill-equipped for that. But at any rate, they're sitting in my office. And uh, so I get to hear her side of the story first. And her side of the story was she came home from work one day. And her husband is literally upstairs. This two-story house. He's upstairs in the house. He's opened the windows. And in a rage, he is pitching stuff out the window into the backyard. And there's a pile of stuff back there because he is so furious he can't, doesn't know what to do with himself. And he is throwing stuff like a madman out the window. 
I wanted to cut it off right there. So I don't know how to deal with stuff like this. So we move on, and I get then hear her side of the story because, because somebody called the cops, right? And what's going on over there? So they end up in my office. So at any rate, then I get to hear his side of the story. He says, well, my wife is a hoarder. And every time when I come home and I walk through the front door, I literally have to walk down this narrow path through my living room to get to any other part of the house because there's no place to sit down. Everything is stacked from the floor up to my chest or higher of junk that we've accumulated for years and years and years. And every room in the house is exactly like that. It's a total disaster. I love my wife. I don't want to divorce her. I want to continue living with her. But I absolutely refuse to live another day with the junk. It goes or I go. I mean, that's kind of the level that David is at here. It's like, we got to deal with the junk. Because it is now an obstacle to life. I cannot and I will not go on. Uh, New Year's resolutions. I won't ask you if you made one. I will tell you this. I'm done with them. (laughs) Done. Don't believe them anymore. I've failed too many times. I I like goal setting. I think that makes sense. But have you read the statistics on on the New Year's resolutions? The, The percentage of people who actually get through the first 30 days without breaking their news. It's pitiful. It's absolutely pitiful. It's unbelievable. So kind of done with that. But I will tell you this. One thing I've learned is there are two powerful motivators of real change. One is hope and the other is disgust. What I love about Psalm 51 is it's absolutely saturated with both of those. David is as disgusted with himself as he can get. And you see it again and again as you read through those verses. Lord, would you purify me? Would you clean me up? Would you remove the stain of my guilt? Would you get, take your eyes off from that? Get it out of my life. He's disgusted with himself and what he has done. But it's also all wrapped up beautifully with hope. Like, I can get my joy back. I can have my life again. I I can get to a point where I'm no longer disgusted with myself. And we can live. We can live and we can lead as God intended all along. It's hope and it's disgust. And I think we need both of those things. Hebrews chapter 12 Coaches is along this line, starting off uh, verse 1, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily hinders our progress. And that's the issue, hinders our progress. Say it with me, hinders our progress. That's the issue. Big or small, it's those things that stand between us And the ultimate destiny that God has in mind for us. There's a calling. There's a purpose. There's a plan. There's a destiny. And in many ways for the people that we're reading about in the scripture. It's fallen off a cliff. And it's totally wrecked. And it looks irreparable. 
But God is saying, I can put it back together again. I can make a way where there seems to be no way. I can clear away the obstacles. So he doesn't force us to do anything, but at least he makes it possible for us to fulfill a destiny that we thought we had totally ruined. Would you, Lord, please remove my guilt? Let's go on to the second part of the prayer, and that is a prayer that God would renew his heart. 5110, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Renew. It was there once. Man after God's own heart, the apple of God's eye. Renew that spirit in me once again. I love the way Gene Peterson puts this in message translation. God, make a fresh start in me. There it is again. Make a fresh start in me. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. You think about Genesis, the first chapter, and, uh, and God said, uh, uh, the story is that he looked on, on the, the earth at that point, and it said three things. It was empty, it was formless, and it was cloaked in darkness. Can you picture, can you picture our planet in that, in that time where it was just no, it was shaped, I mean, the water covered everything. There was no real definition of land, um, nations, or anything as we know them today. No vegetation, uh, no life of any kind. It was just big blah, chaos, the scripture says. It was, it was just chaos. And then God spoke. And over the course of the, course of the week, he, he's speaking life and spoke light into existence. And then separation of the land and the waters. And then vegetation and then animal life, sea life, um, uh, bird life, and then human life into this planet. Until in a week's time, it becomes this gorgeous, perfect planet that we all dream of living in. Sin enters in, ruins all of that. And, and he's saying, Lord, would you do that in me? Because that's me. You, you created me as, as an innocent child. I made choices. I made decisions. I did things that messed up the perfect plan that you had for me. But would you speak that Genesis life back into me once again? Renew my heart. This, uh, this has been around for a while, as you can tell. It's, I know that it's at least 60 years old. Because I played with this thing when I was a little tyke. Yeah, it's probably the only toy from my childhood that, uh, that I still have. And there's a reason for it. It's because there's a story behind it. And the story goes that when I was that little guy, I was in the backyard playing with this one day. And uh, uh, skateboards didn't exist back then, but that's kind of the... I, I had that idea in mind with this. So I had one foot inside... And I was hanging on to that little handle. And with my other foot, I was pushing myself around. It doesn't work very well as a scooter because this thing's not very stable. Uh, and so I got kind of disgusted with it. And I remember that uh, I, I just gave, with the foot that was inside, I gave it a big push and I slammed it into an oak tree and walked away. Well, Mom happened to be sit, standing in the kitchen uh, looking out the window over the sink and saw it all. So she comes outside. Steve, come here. Bring the red, the red wagon. I, I knew I was in trouble. I, I mean, I, I would be lucky if I got off with a good scolding, right? It, was, it, it wasn't pretty. So she calls me over, but it didn't, ha- it didn't go down that way. She said, I want to tell you a story. And uh, she started into the story. She said, you know, a couple years ago, 
um, I wanted to get you a birthday present and there wasn't any money. And you know that rhubarb patch out back? said, I went out there and I cut, I cut all the rhubarb. I took it in. I washed it up. I cut it into to, uh, uh, sections. I packaged it all up. I went around and I knocked on the doors of all the neighbors. And I went to the local grocery store. And I sold. I kept doing that till I sold enough to save up the money to buy you that wagon. Um, I never mistreated that thing again. It, because the story changed my heart. Now it's no longer just a toy. It's an expression of love. That moved me. And I look at it today and I remember mom's love. I can't picture myself going door to door selling rhubarb for any purpose. <laughs> I love to eat it. Don't ask me to wrap it up and sell it. Uh. Here's the point. When David's praying, remove the guilt of my sin, we're dealing with behaviors. When we get to this point, it's at a whole different level. This is not about behavior modification. This is about a change, an internal change that's so deep, a change of heart that changes the behavior. You don't have to worry about those behaviors again because something's happened deep inside. For David, this is no longer about image management, behavior modification. This is about internal transformation that made him into the person that would do what God wanted him to do. He would live out the rest of his days fulfilling the destiny of God in his heart because he had a whole new understanding of what it's all about. Change my heart, Lord. Change my heart. Make me into somebody new. Look at these verses uh, in Ezekiel. Uh, One verse, uh, chapter 36, verse 26. And I will give you a new heart. And I'll put a new spirit in you. I don't know, maybe Ezekiel was reflecting back on David's psalm, which was already written by that time. I will take out of your, I will take out your, look at this, stony, stubborn heart and give you, in its place, a tender, responsive heart. Ezekiel was in captivity when he wrote this with the rest of, most of the rest of the, the Israelites at that time. And, uh, and, and so he's, he's going through this. And the whole reason why they're there is because of the stony, stubborn heart that refused to heed what God wanted to say to them. They killed the prophets. They disregarded, dis- disobeyed. They, they, all they cared about was doing what they wanted to do. It's like, where am I, I'm going to make my own way. I don't need anybody to tell me what to do. I got my own plans for my own life. Thank you very much. Just stay out of it, and uh, I'll do what I'm going to do. And what that became for them, it grew into that stony, stubborn heart that ended up in a total fiasco for them. And God is saying, I'm going to change that. So the stony becomes the tender. The stubborn becomes responsive. I just want you to to marinate in that for a moment. Tender, responsive. I mean, do a little self-evaluation. You got stony on this side. You got tender on that side. 
You got stubborn on this side, you've got responsive on that side. Where are you in that continuum? Guess where God wants us to be? He wants, he wants to literally take something out that's wrecking us and put something in that will renew us and redirect us and ultimately result in the fulfillment of the destiny that he has planned for our lives. I'm going to give you a new heart. Now, mom's story changed my heart with regard to that particular toy, but Jesus changed my heart at a different level. And that's the reason why I am who I am today, and I'm doing what I am today. I mean, it happened in various ways over years of time, but I can remember as early as seven years of age coming to a realization that something was flawed inside of me. And I wasn't... I mean, looking back, I don't think I was that bad of a kid. But do you know the Holy Spirit can open your eyes to see things as God sees them? And I realized something in me was going to divert me from what God wanted me to be. And that needed to change. And at that early age, I asked Jesus to forgive me and to come into my life. He changed my heart. It's that deep internal kind of transformation that results in a whole new way of us living out our existence because it's done from a tender and responsive heart. I'm not saying that I did that perfectly. I surely did not. But it's the beginning of a process that God wants to shape in each and every one of us. Renew my heart. Change my heart. Let's go to that level. Not just deal with the things that we want to hide, the, the actions, the thoughts, the words that we've spoken that we now regret, but let's go to the deeper level. Lord, remove the guilt and renew my heart. And let's go to the third part of the prayer. Restore my joy. Restore to me again, again, the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. That's really, I mean, that right there, that kind of gets to the core of what this is all about, I think for David and for us, the joy's gone. Sin comes in, joy goes out. And he's missing it. Because you remember, remember David was that guy when he was bringing the ark into the city and he's, he's so free-spirited. He's dancing around with such abandon. His wife is... She, she just gets upset with him because she didn't like to see him behaving like that. That was that, that, was that David, that free spirit David. And now that joy is he, every day, every night, he's living the same existence, which he describes in an earlier verse as torment. I'm tormented. Can't get away from my thoughts. I can't escape my memories. I can't believe I did what I did. How did I ever get to that point? What's that mean? What does that say about who I am and, and, and anything about my past uh, victories? I mean, what does that really mean? And he's, he is so hindered in his leadership and his relationships and everything, his relationship with God. The guy who is writing those psalms and singing those songs to God went silent. He said, I lay my head on my pillow at night and I soak it with my tears. I can't sleep. All I can do is think about the things that have destroyed me. Lord, would you please remove the stain of that purify me, cleanse me, change my heart, and would you give me my joy back? A few times over the years, Joan has said to me, 
you used to be fun. <laughs> you made me laugh. I want that Steve back again. You know, life, life changes you. Life changes you. I mean, I mean, that was back in college, right, when I didn't have a responsibility in the world, except loving you. And uh, by the way, my kids, I, six of my 10 grandchildren are here this morning. And we are, we're having an awesome time. So my oldest daughter, Melissa, her husband, Chris, first time I've ever seen Melissa in pink hair. Love it. Kristen, my middle daughter, and her husband, Chad, and their kids, three each, uh, they, grandkids they brought to us. And, uh, and that's life. They are my joy in these days. It's joy. It's about the joy. And, and literally, those kids bring, they, they help me to forget about the responsibilities and the heaviness and all the things in life that can make me take myself way too seriously and just have fun again. You know what I'm talking about? Joy, it's the joy that really matters. And this is the pathway back to that. And if you have lost your joy, can I just tell you something? You cannot medicate your way back to joy. You can spend all the money you have and more money you don't have and not get the joy back. You can't. There's no place you can go. There's no experience you can have that will that will give to you last. There's only one way to get the joy back. You have to pray it back. Because it's, it's about make me willing to obey you, right? It's about that change of heart. It's about that purification. It's about, it's about getting past the baggage of the past. And then the joy comes back and it's like, wow, miraculously. The joy's back. I'm loving life again. I want that joy. I want that gift. That's what David's prayer is all about, I believe, at this point. There's, uh, there's something else. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 43 because God anticipated our need for some joy in life. Isaiah is all about the same, this same uh, general period of history where um, Isaiah and Jeremiah are prophesying that this nation will, if they don't get rid of their stony, stubborn heart, go into captivity. And then about the 70 years, God is speaking to them as he's making those changes and then about bringing them back home once again. And the homeland was important because it was a critical element of their destiny. It was the fulfillment of the purpose for which God had created them. Isaiah 43, when you go through deep waters and great trouble, I will be with you. Kind of reminds me, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? And God is saying, I'm not going to kill you. It may feel like it. I'm not going to kill you, but I am going to get that stony, stubborn heart out, and I'm going to replace it with a tender, responsive heart. And when you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you'll not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. Look at this. Your Savior. Yeah. Your Savior. I'm going to make a way. So they're in Babylon. They need to get back to the homeland. Scorching deserts out there. Dry land. Another place in Isaiah, he said, listen, I'm going to make a pathway through the desert. 
and I'm going to put some rivers, some streams out there in the desert for you. What he's saying is, I'm going to make the impossible possible for you. I'm not going to force you to do anything, but I'm going to make it possible against all odds for you to be where you need to be and do what you need to do and make this relationship right and fulfill the calling and the destiny that I have on your life. And nothing's going to keep you from doing that. Let's go back to our our text for this morning. Look at it one more time. Don't keep looking at my sins. You can you can just feel David's shame in those words. God, would you please stop looking at the things that I hate so much? Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Do not banish me from your, banish me from your presence. Or don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me again the joy of your salvation. And make me willing to obey you. God's got a brand new thing in store for each one of us. And it doesn't matter that it's 2017, the year, the day, really doesn't make any difference. The whole idea is you can walk into tomorrow free from the regrets and remorse and guilt and condemnation of the past. And you can be free to live out the original calling and purpose that God had when he made you. Who's in? Let's do it. Let's do it. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to pray before we close this morning. If you're here and you need Jesus to change your heart, receive Christ into your, into your life, let him deal with the past. He's, he's good at it. He's provided for it. Let him deal with it. God, God made a promise. He said, you confess your sins to me, I'll bury them in the deepest part of the sea of my forgetfulness and nobody can dredge them up again. Nobody can rub your nose in it again. You can walk free of that stuff you're here today you say i want to receive christ into my life let me pray with you as we close this morning just slip your hand up quickly between you and me thank you and god you put your hand right back down anyone else ready for a fresh start a new beginning thank you i see your hand anyone else before we pray father thank you for your love that you express to us in such tangible unforgettable ways Thank you for sending Jesus to pay the penalty for our sin so that we don't have to pay that penalty. Thank you that you've already provided for the removal of our guilt and freedom for a new and a better future. Jesus, we believe in you. We believe you You were born of a virgin mother. We believe that you lived a sinless life. We believe that you died on the cross for our salvation. We believe that you resurrected back to life and you're alive today. And we open up our future and our life to you. And we ask you to put that tender and responsive heart in us so that we can live out your plan and your purpose for the rest of our days. We give you praise and glory for that in Jesus' name.